Hello, Bold and Conscious Leader. Welcome to our new and refreshed season of the Bold Conscious Connections podcast, where we bring to you people who have shown special courage, character, and consistency to express themselves fully. After all, as long as we're alive, we want to live a full life, don't we? So our guests that we bring demonstrate that they do not want to die with their gifts because we're all meant to be given gifts that we share with others. And this is how we play our part in raising our collective consciousness in this world through this podcast called Bold Conscious Connections. So without further ado, let me bring on our guest today. If you're an entrepreneur or startup founder, listen up. I don't know if you believe this, but there are no coincidences in life. This phenomenon for me has been proven to me over and over again in my life. I mean, how many times have you had a situation where you're thinking about somebody from the past and then lo and behold, they call you? I always say that was telepathy before we had telephones, we had telepathy. So it just looks like a coincidence. Well, one such coincidence, a pleasant one for me was how I met Anthony Nelson, a brilliant young man who I found to be incredibly generous, always adding value to whoever he meets. I was connected to him through a work-related situation with an email server problem or some such thing. And one thing led to another, and lo and behold, I was speaking with Anthony Nelson. And that was just a few months ago. Since then, Anthony and I have developed an incredible connection because he's always looking to help you. He has helped so many other people solve a challenge because he is so focused on helping the other person. Anthony Nelson is a growth leader with a simple mission. He wants to empower those around him to learn and feel empowered to make strategic decisions with conviction. I mean, I have seen this gentleman work hard, climb mountains physically, take care of his body and fitness. From everything I have seen working with him, he lives his mission each day. Focus for him and what he attributes that all is really about fitness and health, your body temple, so that he can tap into the value he creates for his audience. Yes, he's commercial too, but with a heart. In the world today, we need more people like Anthony. Having driven growth at companies like Advisory Board, Optum, down to health tech startups uh, that he focuses on these days, Anthony founded Growth Culture with a vision to lessen the financial burden that companies face when they're faced with you know, growth targets by helping infuse systems to create repeatable revenue and sustain their success in the future. But one of his clients sums it up beautifully. My biggest takeaway from working with Anthony is you don't just help me with growth, but I actually feel like you're teaching me how to do build and iterate on the commercial side of the business as well. So thank you, Anthony. And so with that, I'm going to turn you over to this conversation that I had with Anthony, which is so full of amazing leadership lessons. I highly recommend you take notes because Anthony drops nugget after nugget in our chat here. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Anthony J. Nelson. Well, you know, they say there are no coincidences. I met Anthony Nelson through one of his colleagues in a completely unrelated uh, matter issue. It was a mundane technical problem that his colleague helped me solve and then introduced me to Anthony. And soon enough, he and I chatted and we hit it off. 
All I can say is that this man is a giver. He shares very easily. He brings so much value in every conversation to, to anyone he comes in contact with. For me, he's a business coach. And while I can profess that I'm a serial entrepreneur, I had five startups and so on, I have learned so much from you, Anthony, in the last few weeks. So I want you to welcome to the show. I really appreciate that, Raju. It's actually, it's funny. My other colleague, Kirsten, mentioned yesterday, she's like, you have such a bleeding heart. <laughs> Maybe sometimes you give more than you should. And for me, I don't know, I just always feel like what goes around comes around. And chatting with you has actually been really beneficial for me too. So don't think that you're the only one receiving here. Uh, there is some giving back from you too. So I appreciate it. Well, sort of some like-mindedness here, but this is not about mutual admiration. Uh, you know, we also have our conversations every week about different things. And really, I I've learned so much. So I know we're going to talk about what you do. And a lot of it's going to mm -hmm. be the show notes, uh, Anthony. But I really want you to answer the first question, which is about who Anthony really is rather than what you do. It's a deep question. And as you and I always talk about, it's like, you know, people have like the superficial answer where, you know, it's kind of like interviews where they're like, hey, like, tell me about you. And they're like, oh, well, I've done this professionally and people forget right. about the fact that really I think professionally is always driven by what you've done personally. So I live in Colorado with my wife and our two dogs. I am still a very, you know, pretty high performing endurance athlete. And I say that with a lot of pride because I put a ton of time into this. Um, actually just finished, I think I told you Raju, the North American off-road triathlon championships last week. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. I am still feeling it uh, from racing <laughs> at 9,000 feet altitude out in Beaver Creek, Colorado. But for me, um, you know, me, the person, it's actually, I kind of look at life as, you know, every day is another opportunity to do great things. So for me, it's always been, what can I learn from people? What can I reapply? What can I share back with people? And I think that's always bled into my professional career, which, you know, a lot of people don't know this of me and I always share pretty openly is I was actually not entirely driven when I was younger, but it was when my dad passed away when I was 20, that life obviously changed fundamentally mm -hmm. on a number of levels, but that gave me, let's say a real kick in the pants to start getting things together to support my mom and sister and obviously go forward in life. So I ended up really pushing myself to, I was working full time. I was taking 25 quarter hours in college, became an endurance athlete. And is I think it's the endurance athlete that has actually shaped my entire career that mm. I've done over 20 years in healthcare, health tech, across a variety of different places, Fortune 10 companies, all the way down to startups. And then now my own company now, but you know, Anthony to the person is somebody that just really wants everybody around him to thrive. Maybe sometimes mm. to my own detriment, but I think that's okay because rising tide lifts all ships at the end of the day. And one day, Raju, I'm going to need your help too. And I know you'll be there waiting as soon as I need that, that assistance. Well, I think there is the underlying theme of this podcast, which is called Bold Conscious Connections, is really about unity consciousness. So I know that's a conversation for many of the people who are, you know, our CXOs or senior corporate guys listening to this, women, men, founders. I know this one thing that you and I have in common, apart from many, and I'm much older than you, so let's not go into that. Um, you know about that. <laughs> one, you don't know how old I mean, I don't think anybody knows how old you are. You're very young, so stop. So, so the one thing you and I do share from a corporate to entrepreneurship journey. So perhaps we can talk a little bit about, I know you mentioned the turning point with your father's passing, but you know, to be an entrepreneur is a real long, you know, journey. It's, it's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a quick this or that. I've had five of these scars in my back, but those are the learnings we've had. 
like how could you not think about this you you know you business oh. dude whatever so here i i coach you know business people help them really get funding ready now in my new avatar talking with you so what was that decision point when you when you decided that entrepreneurship was for you when you left advisory it's a really good question because i think you know a little bit was intentional but a lot of it just kind of you know kind of came and like sideswiped me a little bit so, you know, as you and I've talked about, but, you know, for anybody listening, you know, my career started at a company called the advisory board. Um, and I've done everything commercially oriented, inside sales, outside sales, sales engineer, marketing, commercial operations, fractional roles on the revenue side. And I was very fortunate in my career to start at the advisory board, which was, you know, a lot of people say when I meet them, they're like, oh, you worked at the advisory board. So you uh -huh. got your MBA in healthcare right out of the gates because everywhere you turn, it was a Harvard graduate, a UPenn graduate. It was mm. extraordinarily brilliant people on the business and the healthcare and the human side. I'm an Ohio State graduate. So I'm like, why? Like, what am I doing here? But, you know, for me, it was always, you know, I always looked at my career as not opportunistic in a bad way, but you have to open doors when they knock. Mm -hmm. Some people are for as lucky, but I, I think you and I align where you make your own luck if you <laughs> take the chances. But after doing the big company thing, I decided to go the startup route in 2020 because I had done everything on the provider side in healthcare, but nothing on the patient side. And I had my own mental health experience from a physical ailment that landed me with post-traumatic stress disorder. Bonafide, diagnosed, had to go to therapy for it. And I went the digital health route to lead commercial operations at a company called Big Health that was focused on treating clinical anxiety and clinical insomnia digitally. So really interesting concept. And what I realized as I was now in the startup world is everything I had learned at the advisory board and Optum and Waystar and these big companies is I had a pretty interesting playbook for getting things to market really effectively, not just, you know, in a general term, but like specifically within healthcare, because healthcare is a very different world that we live in where you're selling to providers, you're selling mm -hmm. to health insurance companies, and it's a very different sale. It's a very different message. It's a very different position. So I had this idea and I was nudged a little bit after leaving big health because I went to do sort of a fractional revenue officer role. I said, you know what? Like it's expensive to hire people like me. And I all the way back, you know, full circle on this Raju is, you know, I'm a giver and altruistic is, you know, I, I think we have all of us in healthcare in general, a little bit of a bleeding heart of like, we got into healthcare on the tech side because we believe in making the world better for mm. providers, for patients, for the world in general. So I had this thought of, well, I've got all these frameworks. I've got these plans. I've learned a lot. I, I actually grew up in a great place at the advisory board of like, how do we actually commercialize in healthcare? And I said, well, maybe I could actually do this with startups, but not just any startup, right? It's ones that I think are actually changing healthcare. So we think about pediatric development. We think about mm -hmm. another company I work with is focused on elder care and how do we connect families and caregivers to make sure that like the right. person aging in their home is safe. Another one is pre-surgery optimization. Another one is AI and radiology for spine to make sure that we are not missing the diagnoses and not having to operate unnecessarily on people. So I said, hey, I'm going to take a swing at this and see if I can actually help healthcare startups build without burning their runway. So far, so good, but it was a little bit intentional, a little bit kind of out of nowhere that it happened, but to the whole point of like consciously doing it, I jumped all the way in and I don't see myself leaving now. Wow. And how long has it been? So growth culture, my firm has been officially active for 13 months now. Oh, beautiful. So it's a, it's a true startup in, in every, by yeah, every definition. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. It was um, very, it was slow to start. And then you have all those trials and tribulations of like, I don't know, is this my thing? And it's not, I think it's always important to anchor on you and I talk about this, asking the questions rather than questioning yourself when you're doing yeah. this stuff. So should I be doing this, but what's the right way to be doing it? So yeah, fairly new, but you know, I think the key learning for me is I focused really hard on client delivery before mm -hmm. client acquisition. So I've always been in the mind frame of if you want to be able to earn and make money and actually support your partners, and I'm pretty big on, you know, this Raju saying the people I work with are my partners because I infuse them to the company. Yes. You need to make sure that that's a super delightful experience. You know, it was a little bit slow to start. We've had a client churn or two, and it's all been actually quite amicable departures, but mm -hmm. you know, this kind of strange company that is a startup that builds startups, which is like one of the most psychotic things I think anybody could do, but I, uh, I just, I absolutely love it, especially with the well, people that not I have. psychotic from my perspective, because I've interacted with you and I go, this is really something. Dig a little bit more into the digital aspect of, you know, for those may, they may not understand, what do you mean by digital, you know, health related, all these different examples you mentioned, what is it digitally being done for them? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, there's a lot of things that go into the term digital health, digital therapeutics, digital medicine. And I think it's the same thing when you, as people talk about AI all over the place, like AI is just really this blanket term. And underneath yeah. AI, you have things like machine learning, natural language processing, internet right. of things. There's a bunch of different modalities sure. that go into this. But when we think about digital, it's to me, I think it's about embracing the fact that we do have technology that is not coming out here to replace anybody's jobs. Like we're not trying to like get rid of nurses or psychologists or surgeons or radiologists. It's about actually embracing the movement to see how can we actually, I see the term out there, force multiply our work or advance right. our work with right. high quality models. And the fact is everything we do is pretty digital now. We, yeah. you and I have never met in person, although I feel like we have, which is kind of interesting. And I've been I've been remote since 2011, so the pandemic and working remotely wasn't new for me, but I think no. it was a new a new thing that people had to embrace where, you know, if somebody needs treatment for mental health, for example, mm -hmm. there's a lot of challenges, which is one, we have scarcity of qualified providers to be able to do that. So how do we scale the gold standard of mental health care, which is cognitive behavioral therapy? Well, you do it digitally. Now, you don't just throw crap out there. You go through rigorous testing to make sure that it's clinically viable, clinically accurate, and actually adaptable for the people that are using it across a bunch of different demographics. So for example, when we think about DNI right now, you know, is this digital format of cognitive behavioral therapy applicable to a white guy, an Indian guy, a black woman, an Asian woman, you know, multi-gender, and everybody in between to make sure that it's scalable and we're serving the population that we truly, really want to. Hmm. Awesome. So obviously it's going to change. The landscape is changing and people need to be more either receptive because, well, the, the, the pandemic forced everybody into a situation. So everybody had no choice you know, but to be remote. Like you, I wasn't as remote as in 2011, but perhaps 2016. I saw that because when I renewed my Zoom subscription, I go, oh my God, I've been at this for so long. So <laughs> for some, it was forced on them. So do you see any trepidation that people who are listening might have like, okay, that's good for you, Anthony or Raju. But you know, what about all those other people that, I mean, there's so many things in their lives. They're working two jobs, you know, feeding their kids and, you know, m many single women, single parents, like how do they deal with all this? 
And, you know, yeah. that leads to all these mental issues and stresses, right? So these are probably the types of startups that you're connecting with or helping. It's actually a really good question. Nobody's actually really asked me that. So this is going to be a truly like fresh off the cuff uh, position on this is, you know, it's all about being curious as humans. And what can I do with digital assets? Look, texting is a digital form of communication. Everybody does it at the end of yep. the day. And if we're going to talk about the person that's working two jobs, has a family and has kids, well, looking at the digital way of doing things and not a hundred percent digital, but where are these moments in my life that I can take some of that friction out so that it gives me more quality time with my family, right. spouse, kids, dogs, Raju, as you know, I'm a big dog person. My wife and I decided that yeah. we're not having kids because we have our nephews and we love our dogs. Right. But, you know, when I think about digital for me, it's, you know, obviously spending time with my wife and my dogs, but how do I also like force multiply my time so that I can go do my training sessions much more effectively. So I think there is a little bit of a leap of faith, but when we come back to the fact of the people that are working two, three jobs, have all this stuff going on, it's, well, treatment's really important, right? That's why we have health insurance. That's why we have doctors. And when you have an ailment, medicine exists so that you can get that taken care of. And the fact that we have things like telemedicine, which is a little bit different from telehealth, telehealth is just talking to people, telemedicine is getting the treatment. There are ways for people to still take care of themselves if they are interested. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to tie into, you know, the title of everything you do, which is making conscious decisions to make ourselves better. And as you know, I'm a continuous learner. I'm testing, I test like a new tool every day. I'm like, all right, what, like, is this going to be good? Is it not? And I like, throw like, you know, 90% of them out, not because they're not good. They just don't fit the mold for me. But, you know, I don't think it takes much, much time. Mm -hmm. to test some tools out to see what's going to make things more effective for you. Like use AI to generate your grocery list than have it, rather than having to sit down and like plan it out for like two and a half hours, you know? I mean, really, uh, I know you've, you and I have talked about this. People just, you know, operate with fear first, like, oh, the, uh, or in, in distrust. So I don't think you're saying, or I'm saying that people should distrust AI or any tool that you use, your devices, your phones. I mean, they're being, they're being hacked all day long. But the key is your curiosity, as you said, and, and have an inquisitive mind to say, what can I do for me to use it rather than it use me? I mean, we're being used by media and devices and all that all day long because we give up our focus. We give up our control. So knowing that this is in your control and how you use it, but embrace it to make your life easy. So for you, and we've talked about this, I mean, literally my projection, this already 2023, since I started using it, I've already probably saved over 500 hours of content creation time because for me, it beats a blank page. And it has much more reach than I would, my little brain would ever have, right? And then that doesn't mean they're 100% right. They could be 70% right for all I care. But then it gets mm -hmm. me going. And then I, my creative juices kick in. You have a comment about that? I do. So, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that AI is not here to replace anything. I mean, some things, of course, but it's all about how you embrace it and how you look at it. So if you look at it as an accelerator, for the stuff that you do, that's going to put you in one track in one position. If you look at it as something that is coming here to be a threat to you, you are immediately in that fear-based mechanism and you're going to be reluctant to do it. And right. candidly, you're going, you're probably going to be left behind from some of the people that are embracing it in the right ways in general. Mm -hmm. So a good example of that is, so you said 70% 70, 70 right for content creation. Look, I'm not going to take a chat GPT or a Bard or any of those other ones, say, hey, write me a blog on this topic and put it out there because 
We know that OpenAI is only as accurate as 2021, and a lot has happened since 2021. Um, but if you're using it as this accelerator for your life, I think it's a good thing. The other really important part of that is, let's say you're not using any of it today. You don't have to just pick it up and figure it out. There are people all over LinkedIn that thousands of people a day are posting carousels and like free guides on how they use it to force multiply their day. And right. I think the more that we are just, you know, as isolated as we can be in society right now, like these forums like LinkedIn are actually really good connecting places to meet people. You and I met digitally because we embraced some of this stuff. And I think you and I have, we'll probably be lifelong friends, ironically, because we have similar mindsets, but we embraced all the advancements yeah. that's come into the, into the world too. Well, that's, that's well said. I mean, we're, I'm your friend for life too. So I don't want to get away from this mutual admiration because I want people to get some new learnings and they're still listening or watching. I really believe that there is so much value you provide. So switching gears a little bit, I know you touched on, you know, as you know, stories make our lives go around and the audience listens to stories about you. That generates a lot more, you know, interest and love, if you will. So mm -hmm. I know you you touched on your dad. Were there other turning points in your life that led you to be who you are? You know, yes, the impact on mental PTSD that you suffered from mm -hmm. other injuries or whatever, other things you want to highlight that those are the, like your mess is your message? There's a couple of things. So, you know, the sports that I, so sports have always been an anchor of my life. So being physically active, physically healthy, all those things have always been really important to me. So I always play, I played traditional sports growing up, like quarterback in high school and like a football town. And, um, you know, the turning point, so I had my dad, but then I got into endurance sports. So I started by running and, you know, ran a half marathon with my uncle and I wasn't traditionally somebody who was like open to always connecting with people. I mean, I love hanging out with my friends and all that stuff, but like actually connecting on this like really, really deep human level, family, friends or otherwise. But I remember sitting back and when he and I were getting ready for the Tucson half marathon in 2004 or five or something like that. I remember seeing the Hoyt family, the Ironman, I forget, like they do the hour Ironman show on like CBS every year after the world championships. And the Hoyt family was the gentleman who was pushing his paraplegic son in the wheelchair. <laughs> through the entirety of the Ironman. So swam with him attached in a boat 2.4 miles in the ocean and then biked 112 miles with his son in kind of a buggy for, you know, in the crazy Kona heat in October and then ran a marathon pushing him in a wheelchair, again, in like 100 degree heat Kona. And I'm like, I just, I saw that and I was like, man, like if he can do that, like I can do anything. I can literally do anything. Within reason, of course. I mean, that's always like, you yeah. have to caveat that. But I remember thinking like, okay, like, I think this is going to be a really big turning point in my life. So I went real hard at it because I was like, all right, I'm going to do an Ironman someday. And oh. for those that don't know, Ironman is a brand, but like the idea that what it's really called is a full distance triathlon. So 2.4 swim, 112 bike, and then a, you know, a marathon at the end. And I went really hard into endurance sports where I actually became captain of the rowing team in college. I don't know where, um, which was pretty cool. And I think being a rower changed my life for a number of reasons. One, I had to get up at like four to get to practice, like freezing, like freezing water. So it taught me discipline, um, which I didn't have before. It taught me the, like the real concept of teamwork, which I knew from like other sports. But when you are in a, a boat rowing with, with either seven other people or three other people, because I rowed eights and fours, you have to be in sync on everything. So right. it taught me like kind of getting out of my own way and understanding how to really connect dots amongst people. 
And then as I got out of college and finished rowing, that's when I, that's when I started my triathlon career, which was actually 10 years ago, almost to the day I did my first Olympic distance triathlon. And going through all of that, when you think about like triathlon, people think it's like a crazy sport and it totally is. But when my wife and I got into Ironman type distance too, which we've done, I've done two fulls. I've done a ton of half distance, which is, you know, cut all those other distances in half. There is so much adversity and complexity that you go through in that type of athletics when you're managing not only three disciplines, but you're managing your nutrition in between mm. wraparound things like treating your body right with massage and stretching and naps and recovery and all that stuff and weaving it into your day to day and making it financially stable and all those things. And I think actually the culmination of all of that and having a similarly minded wife who I adore, like she's amazing. She just started her own run, run coaching business and like <laughs> doing great. Like I'm super, super proud of her. She's got six athletes now. It's for a um, shameless plug. First law strength and endurance, Peggy Nelson. You know, I think when you, when you realize that like the complexities of a triathlon, when you're out there racing for me, it was about 10 hours to do an Ironman. Like there is a lot of stuff that goes on in your head. <laughs> and figuring out how to get out of your own way is a really important thing. And then the, I would say the third turning point for me was embracing going to therapy um, and not talk therapy. So when I had my PTSD experience, being a man who traditionally, Raju, you, know, you could probably attest to, like it's been stigmatized for yes. men to admit vulnerabilities. Yes. And when I finally embraced that, my life really changed in mm -hmm. 2020, which I can be open and honest to a fault, but that's okay. It's who I am. I think people should hear my journey going through my mental health challenges and all this stuff. But, you know, I think it's the, it was the shift from learning how to connect with people, dealing with a crazy amount of like adversity throughout a race day. Cause anything can have flat tires, your nutrition drops, you get GI distress, you have headaches, whatever. And then embracing the fact that it's okay to not be okay. Those are big things for me in general. So no, it's, there's nothing in there about I took this business class or read this book. It's actually all these internal things that were really multipliers for me in life um, in general. And I think you and I've talked about that, but you know, the mm. truer you get to your inner self allows you to accelerate yourself a lot more forward. Isn't it funny that all roads point to inner work? I think so. <laughs> the only way out, the only is way in. out is in. So so true. It's funny, Raju, because even, uh, you know, in, in growth culture, my business, you know, I've got a couple of people that are part of the team, Kirsten and Sean and, you know, Brandon, you know, tangentially related to the business. And I adore these people, but, you know, Kirsten made a comment recently. She's like, you're always going to lean in to the business when something is not right. I was like, of course I am. Like, it's just <laughs> my nature to lean in and not let it fester because I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, whether you're working at a big company, a startup, or you're starting your own thing, like you have to lean in. Like you can't run from it. You have to go in to get out. Right. So, you got it, man. So, two words uh, I'm going to ask you about how, what those words mean to you, and, and then what are your practices to do those things. One is bold, which is everything I'm, everything I talk about is bold and conscious. So, what does bold mean to you, and why is that important in your life? You've described mm -hmm. and touched on it clearly with all the things you do that are fairly bold for the, you know, for the average person <laughs> to go into. And then I'm going to ask you about the consciousness. Yeah, I think bold is just about being unapologetically you in general. So people are always going to have their opinions. And 
you know, I've had other friends, you know, a, an amazing VP of sales I used to work with. She said, you are one of the only people that when you say you don't care what people think about you, <laughs> you really don't. And it's not about not caring. It's just about being unapologetically me. Like I'm mid-career, right? There's only, there's very few things that are going to change about me. But I think that even like the flaws that I have or perceive are, they are me and that's what it is. And it's a, it's a flavor that people like or admire or don't admire and dislike. And I think being bold is about just being unapologetically you um, I love that. and going very, very purposefully in a direction that you think is right. Is it the right direction? You will find out, right? You will find out. Cause that's always not a part of like being mm -hmm. part of the process um, at right. the end of the day. But bold is about being unapologetically, authentically you in everything you do. Well, that's been one of my biggest challenges in life. For 50 years, I've had to deal with a poor self-esteem that I blamed other factors and people for in my life. And I stopped doing that only a few years ago. So I'm ashamed to say that. But hey, I'm unapologetic about Okay, so I, you know, I could say I screwed up. No, I just this is my life. I'm I'm in a journey that's where I'm meant to be. So I really love the fact that you learn early in life to have that strong self of well, you, sense. You, of yeah, well, you you learn that these things are either something I don't like to say make or break because I don't I wouldn't say I don't believe in that. I just don't think it's the right way to phrase it. It's you know when like turmoil happens when something super chaotic happens and like not too long ago my business which you know we should be a seven figure company by the end of the year you know we were down to like maybe like 10k of revenue a month and I was like woo uh, what are we gonna do about this? But it's not like it's not like you got kind of, it's just it, these are all learning moments in life like take political affiliations out of it you know george bush wrote the book this is a decision points and yes. it's literally what all of these experiences are it's what do you do with them do you let it knock you down or do you say cool like it's a learning moment and i'm going to go forward with it and even you know raju for you since we've been working together like there's been a big shift in like I, a couple of weeks ago i said hey what is the one thing that you like you feel like you should brag about You're like i can't do that yeah i think you can and then we went on like you've got this amazing background in general so mm -hmm. yes, being unapologetically you. I'm going to get goosebumps about the next one, hopefully, because I already have them for the bold. Given who you are and what you do with your life, consciousness. Being conscious is the gateway to many things, as we just touched on. What does that mean to you? Consciousness just means being as present in the process as you mm -hmm. can be. So it's not, I'm not talking about like mindfulness and things like that, but it's about just literally being part of your process that's going on. So not to say you shouldn't have a goal of, you know, for me, it's, you know, running sub three marathons or, you know, 18 minute five Ks or whatever. It's about saying, if I execute every single step that's in front of me to the best of my ability, the results will follow. And to right. me that like the consciousness is actually being, it's a kind of a funny thing. So it's like, you kind of want your head in the clouds a little bit, but your feet on the ground <laughs> and it's a tough <laughs> thing to do, but you can be like, you know, like on your tiptoes with your head in the cloud a little bit. Right. But in general, the more you are embracing of the day to day, the less you get worried about what happened in the past, because there's nothing you can do about it already happened. Right. It happened. Mm -hmm. It's done. It's over with and out of the future, because it doesn't exist. Like it doesn't exist. So when you start to catastrophize something that's going to happen, I'm like, oh, I'm going to start my business. And I'm going to fail. It's like, it doesn't exist at all. And the more present you are in the process of enjoying the wins and the losses day by day is going to change your life for sure. So in this, in this handy dandy book, Old Conscious Leadership, I, we define consciousness as 
life is happening at three levels. Life is happening to me, by me, and through me or for me. Clearly, you live it, live it on, the, on the third level, which is really how. Because life is happening. We're part of life. And life is happening not to us. We're embracing life if you embrace it. And all those two, by, you know, by being you're in charge, two, life happens to me. Is by, that's a victim mindset. You know, it's always happening to me. Things are always bad for me and my loved ones. But the truth is that those things can all happen at the same time, in the same, on the same day, many times. Right. So the moment of awareness to me is about the fact that life is happening for me to do something different about it or learn from it. And then just keep moving, as you said, you know, being in the present because there's not much you can do about whatever just happened. So I love it. It's all about in front of the other all the time. Do you have uh, practices that allow you to keep your feet on the ground while your head is in the air or in the clouds? I start every uh, probably a couple, and I would. I, it's funny. I don't. I don't know that I would call them practices anymore because they are just ingrained in my lifestyle. Right. Well, that's uh, what we want to hear. I want to hear what it is. So I'll just. I'll share literally how every single morning goes, whether I'm traveling or not. The only caveat would be whether my dogs are with me. So I wake up, I brush my teeth, I come downstairs. We do a very short walk with the dogs, just so I can get some sunshine in my eyes because. Andrew Huberman has this, you know, he has said that if you can get two minutes of sunshine in your eyes before you do anything else, it's going to change, like, actually a lot of your biology and physiology, too. Oh, Come wow. back, feed the dogs, I have my coffee and a little bit of breakfast, bash out a couple of emails, because that's when I'm most productive, and I wake up at, like, five every day. Then I do a, a longer walk with the dogs, and then I get my workout. Nothing Nothing gets in the way of that unless, you know, illness or whatever, or, you know, if I'm traveling, like you have to be a little bit adaptable. And then after I do that, shower, second breakfast, and then I'm off to work. Now, one of the keys to my workday are having intentional breaks in the day where I go walk the dogs for 10 minutes, have a snack, breathe, go sit on the patio. I don't meditate or anything like that. You know, I go through my workday. I usually have a second workout, try to be done by five, eat dinner. I usually get a little bit more work done at the end of the day, not because I'm a workaholic, but it's, I literally enjoy it. I like, I love what I do. So it doesn't hurt for me to do that. My wife is always omnipresent, you know, in the evenings too, because she's an aerospace engineer. And then we, you know, watch a little bit of TV and I'm in bed at 8.15, Oh my um, God. What a dream. Almost every day. So it, five o'clock really wake up is the key sounds to me. That's the, that's the genesis of this. There's, that's part of the genesis because I know I'm a morning person and that comes from being a rower, but also like knowing that it's okay to shut it down and you don't have to work 16 hour days to be a, a productive, mm. successful entrepreneur. And that comes down to defining your own success. But I would say my work weeks are 50 hours mm. and that is as a startup building startups in general. So if you can find the efficiencies in your life and the good practices and the good routines and habits, I think those are really good for you. The other real, like the, you know, it just occurred to me and I have a, a book over here. It's called The Upside of Stress. It's written by Kelly McGonigal. The anchor of the book, she actually got a, she's got a TED talk to you. It's about 15 minutes, but totally worth a listen where, you know, people attach stress to a negative connotation. Yep. And stress is really just external things that can tax your body a little bit. Yeah. So what, what the book kind of goes into, and there's a, there's a lot to it. I don't want to do a disservice to, to her writing and her research. And, you know, she's a doctor, but if you embrace stress, it's a lot different. So when you think about people who don't like public speaking, Roger, I think we've talked about this. You know, people are like, oh my God, I'm like stressed out. I got like, my hands are sweating, my heart rates up and all this stuff. And it's, that is literally just your, that's not your body trying to like kill you and shut you down and put you to sleep. That's your body getting you ready to do what you were meant to do in life. So that's I right. think the more you, 
Like the more I've learned to turn stress into a benefit or a fuel for me, the better off I am. Now, negative stressors like, you know, a death in the family, I told you I lost my dog, like my sure. soul dog recently, Brutus, knowing that like, you know what? I need to take a couple of days off training at work. You can only put so much on yourself at the end of the day. Right. So I think finding those ways to give yourself balance through recognition, going in to be able to come out, all that sort of stuff, I think is, that's probably one of the more defining things I've done in my life. Beautiful. Well, you're a role model for many people listening to this, I'm, I'm sure. So I have a, a two-part question because a lot of this is about leadership. And leadership does not mean, you know, being the big boss. It just means personal leadership then mm -hmm. permeates everything else you do in your life. So you touched on many lessons, you know, throughout our conversation, but are there one or two that are the greatest lessons that you think, you know, that you've learned thus far in your life? And then the second part of that, an extension of that is really for those navigating these uncharted waters of today, you know, mm -hmm. there is a, a lot more perceived stress out there than ever before. I don't know about that, but, but it's okay because there's always stuff happening outside of us. But the moment you give your focus to those things that are happening, there are, you know, you feel that stress of uncertainty and how am I going to navigate this? whether you're looking to jump, go become an entrepreneur or want to have a startup, et cetera. I'm going to start with the first question. I'm going to have to ask you to remind me of the second one because yes. there was a lot, like as you were going through, there's a lot of things going on in my head, but I want to make sure I anchor on it. So the first one is for me, like saying it's okay to not be okay. That has been a big change for me mm -hmm. over the past couple of years because I have been coined as not super empathetic and not understanding and all that because I don't generally struggle with things like other people do. It's not because I'm closed off. Maybe I have the right mechanisms. I don't know, but just knowing that it's okay to not be okay to say, you know, to my wife, hey, I'm stressed out today, or I feel anxious, or to my, my colleagues that are working at growth college, it's like, I'm burnt out today. Like, I'm tired. Like, I'm just not on it. Um, can you take a call for me? And it's actually being willing to bold conscious, like to use your, your book title, bold conscious leadership comes down to being unapologetically you, but also like being a leader means like being okay, not be the leader, being the leader as well. So letting like, you know, Stuart Scott, who was a, an ESPN anchor, he, he had died of, I think he, had, I think it was pancreatic cancer. It's amazing. It's a beautiful book. It'll bring you to tears. Um, mm. He died know, 10 years ago. And I read his book right after my dad had passed away. And there's a line in this book and it, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it right now. Try to get it right. Which is, it says, you know, he's talking about cancer treatment and it's, he's talking about the fact that it's like, fight like hell, fight until you don't have any energy. And then when you don't sit down, let somebody <laughs> else take the reins for you. And being okay with that is not something I've, I was always comfortable with, but once I embrace some of these other things, being a leader means letting other people shine and mm. be great and be in the forefront if they want to and all that sort of stuff. Just because you're the, the leader or the owner or the founder of the business does not mean that anybody else to the company is not mission critical too. Right. So I think being a leader is actually being okay with not being the leader. Awesome. Awesome. What advice would you give to someone who thinks they're navigating some uncharted territories and uncertainties of today? Uh, a little bit of what I just said. So just, just be okay with not being okay. Yeah. Ask questions. It's interesting. LinkedIn has, I feel like it's gone through these like waves of what it is, and what it is. Not. You know, originally this is very much like a professional networking community. And then it was kind of like a job search engine. And then, right. you know, now it's actually a place for creators, which is really, really interesting. And some of these are, you know, people are, you know, trying to monetize themselves, which good. Great, but 
the fact is, is even though like some of these people are trying to drum up business, everyone that I've had a conversation with, because a lot of them will reach out to me to see if they can get me as a client too. Yes. And I, I've had an amazing uh, an experience with one, Ken Yarmish, but- Who's that? Ken Yarmish. So Ken and I yeah. worked one-on-one to focus on how do I build my business uh-huh. very effectively. It has been cha- like game changing without question. But the other side of it is like, these people really do just want to help. Yes. So ask questions, like reach out to people. Don't be afraid to ask. It's interesting. So Reggie, as you know, like I, I only do healthcare. I only do health tech and whatever, mm-hmm. but somehow I got connected to the CMO of WebMD. His name's John White. And I'm not, this is not a plug. I don't know John, but you know, we got connected and I was like, I shot him a quick LinkedIn message. I'm like, John, super nice to connect. Like WebMD is a big company. I'm like, would you ever be open to just like sharing ideas? I don't have anything to like sell him or offer him. And yes. He wrote back in like 10 minutes. He's like, absolutely. So just like ask the questions of like, people are more than willing to share. And especially for me, it's like, you know, a little bit area. Be like, no, not many people have my experience. So like yeah. I can share all of the healthcare commercial stuff that I sure. want. The phrase is like, it's the archer, not the arrow. So I can give you all yeah. the arrows you want. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Exactly. I'm not trying, like, I'm not worried about people taking me off of like, you know, my throne or whatever you want to call it. Right. But I am always willing to give people some advice on their journey. And I think that's key is being okay, not being okay as you go well, into the stuff. I'm a recipient of it. So, hey, I, I acknowledge <laughs> that. I do think that one of the things I talk about in leadership lessons and, and what people should do, mentorship is one of the five major ones. So I think you're speaking to that, that if you are struggling with anything, reach out for support. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's, there's everything to gain and people are willing to help. So, yeah, awesome. Without question. With that question, I think uh, just to you know, anchor on that, Raju, is you know, the world went through a crazy thing with the pandemic. And I think we, a lot of us like lost sense of connection. And even though we are very digital now, people, are, people really crave human connection. Like it is our, it's one of our carnal instincts at the end of the day. And I think people are really striving in 2023, 2024. So one thing that I do with my clients is we, we kick off actually in person now. So I told you I was in Manhattan this week, Manhattan yeah. this week from Colorado to be in person because there's no substitute for like that energy, body language, tone of voice. Right. You also get people that are not multitasking <laughs> on their phones, like <laughs> person, but like the, the human connection of, you know, I had never met this guy aside from, you know, virtually. But the first thing we did is, you know, we hugged it out, which was like, you know, it's, it's a nice sense of uh, connection to be. So, Absolutely. I mean, the pandemic has taught a lot of lessons forced on us to it at, at times. But I mean, really, what a great pivotal moment for humanity to learn to connect with their heart. Right? So listen, uh, we can go on and we can ch- chat forever. So I don't want to take anything for granted. You know, I appreciate, again, this conversation. I'm learning more from again and again and wisdom that's permeating between us here. So we don't take anything for granted. So I appreciate you being here today. And I know it's a co-creative process, what we're doing and going through. Certainly don't want to take anything for granted, so I appreciate it. But before you go, in the same vein of this, what discoveries might you have had in this call? I have not really talked about the fact of like how I am very stressed to people. I think that's really interesting. A lot of, you know, a lot of this conversation has been about validating that I'm confident that I'm approaching things the right way. And my grandfather says all all the time, he's like, I have a young family, so I still have my grandfather's like my best friend. You know, it's, am I doing things the right way? I don't know. I will figure that out. 
but I do know I'm approaching things the right way. And I think, you know, going through this with you and talking through, you know, the background of like where I've gotten from to where I am to where I may go. I think it's always important to take the step back and tell that story periodically to remind you why it is you are like mm -hmm. here physically, but like spiritually, mentally, emotionally, yeah. all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I feel like I actually have a little bit more energy coming out of this call um, in general. I'm just here. I mean, if it, I mean, for me, it's been amazing. Uh, I know that people have, who are listening, I'm sure they got a lot out of this. So thank you again. I appreciate you being here and uh, we'll continue our conversations. Totally. Happy to do it anytime, Raju. Yeah. Take good care, buddy. Thanks so much. See you. Bye. Cheers. I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. We strive to bring you conversations that make you think, reflect, and perhaps inspire you to take even one little step in your path towards personal growth and greater wisdom. Please download the show or the podcast episode that you just heard and leave us a comment so that we can continue to bring you meaningful and relevant topics in the future. Take care and thank you so much.